This is the Speaking of Writers podcast. I'm Steve Richards. The book is Mr. Met, How a Sports Mad Kid from Jersey Became Like Family to Generations of Big Leaguers. It's by Jay Horowitz. Anyone who knows Jay knows he loves stories and has a wealth of them to share. As a beloved longtime PR director for the New York Mets, he has witnessed and quietly shaped some of the most memorable moments in team history, becoming a trusted friend and mentor to generations of players, from Daryl Strawberry to Jacob deGrom. In this fascinating memoir, Horowitz tells the unlikely story of a childhood dream come true offering an unparalleled insider's perspective on four dynamic and unpredictable decades of Mets baseball. Featuring reflections and anecdotes only Horowitz can tell on subjects ranging from clubhouse hijinks to the chaotic New York media scene to navigating moments of greatness and defeat. Mr. Met is a remarkable behind-the-scenes ride that fans will not want to miss. Jay Horowitz is vice president of alumni relations and club historian for the New York Mets. He spent nearly four decades at the helm of the team's media relations. In 2019, he was a recipient of the annual William J. Slocum Jack Lang Award for long and meritorious service awarded by the Baseball Writers Association of America. Happy to have Jay Horowitz join me now here. Well, thank you for having me. My, my pleasure. My pleasure. So my pleasure. why this book for you, Jay? Well, a couple, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, you know, I'm nearing the, you know, I'm, I was 75 in August. Um, I, I, you know, I, I have a lot of good stories through the years. I just wanted to put something down in the book. You know, it was never going to be a, uh, a tell book, it was a feel-good book. I just wanted to get, let people know behind the scenes what it was like to work at a New York market for 40 years and deal with a lot of stuff that I dealt with. And the other reason that I, I, I wanted to write the book is, you know, I was born blind in my right eye. Uh, I had my mother, when she carried me, she, uh, she had German measles. I got glaucoma on my right eye. I was blind. I had an artificial eye put in when I was 13. And I was always embarrassed to tell people what was wrong with my eye. I figured maybe in my later years I can maybe serve as some kind of inspiration to young kids who weren't born perfectly, born with a little dis- disability, that you can't have a career for yourself. It was not over because you're not born perfectly. So I was hoping, you know, get some of my stories out there and, you know, along with the same reason to try and maybe if somebody reads the book, they can have a little inspiration that just because you're not born perfectly doesn't mean you can't succeed in life. So those are a couple of reasons why I wrote the book. Jay, how did you become a sports mad kid? From what, Clifton, New Jersey, right? Right. Yeah, my father, my father was a diehard football giant fan. Uh, and baseball giant fan. I remember took me to the polo grounds. I grew up idolizing Willie Mays. I watched the Giants in the 50s, uh, you know, Y.A. Tittle, Frank Gifford, uh, um, you know, uh, Andy Robustelli. And he, my father, indoctrinated me into the games. I became, you know, one, rooted for both Giants. I was at the 56 playoff game against the Colts. Um, when Alan, when Amici scored the overtime game, I remember watching the 54 World Series with my dad when Willie Mays made the over back over the shoulder catch against Dick Ward to the polo ground. So he got me in, in, into sports, and you know, honestly, because when I was growing up, you know, because I, 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 my vision wasn't great, I had to figure out other ways to enjoy sports because a lot of my my friends were were played, and you know, I played little league. I was m- much of a little league player, so I. You know, gravitated towards, you know, going, writing for the high school yearbook, being a manager in high school and college. So I've sort of other ways to get involved with sports, even so I could become a player. 
We're chatting with Jay Horowitz here on Speaking of Writers. His new book is Mr. Matt, How a Sports Mad Kid from Jersey Became Like Family to Generations of Big Leaguers. How did you last in the New York media market for nearly 40 years, Jay? Well, it was a simple thing. I, I, I never tried to lie, never tried to cover up everything. And in the locker room, the locker room is kind of a funny place. The players are very smart, and I tried to always you know, show the same courtesies to the 25th guy on the team like you're with the number one guy on the team. You know, uh, I never tried just to cater to the stars. I, you know, always try to, you know, go to the guys like Joe McEwen and Vance Wilson and, you know, guys who are, you know, were back, you know not everyday players, just extend them to courtesies. And the players could see through you if you're a phony or not. And I try to, you know, treat everybody the same, whether you're the number one guy, all-star, or a 25th guy battling for position. I think the players knew I was genuine. They knew I had your back. They knew I wasn't going to BS them. And you have to develop a level of trust in the locker room because if, if the players don't feel they can trust you, you know, I, think I, I never wanted to be a suit. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to have that trust with the players that they knew they could trust me and if they had a problem on and off the field, it would go to me. And I think that's what one of the reasons why I was able to exist for so long, and especially in this market. Yeah, and you had a taste even before the New York media market. Before that, you were the sports information director at Fairleigh Dickinson, sports information director at NYU. When you were at NYU, talk about the basketball coach, Lou Rossini, and the influence he had on yeah. you. Yeah, Lou was always my second father. I went there. Uh, I was the manager of the basketball team in high school. I went there out to alumni gym, and, you know, I became the manager as a freshman. I worked my way up the ladder. Uh, I, as a senior, you know, my, my first year as a manager, uh, you know, Barry Kramer and, and Happy Harrison were juniors. Uh, my first year, they were in 63. They were number one in the, in the country. Um, remember guys at the team like Tom Boost, Ray Bennett, Gene Fish, Bob Patton, and, you know, Barry, we, we, uh, he vied with Art Heyman, I think, for the scoring lead in the country. And, we traveled all around the country. My friend with with the with, the, uh, with NYU, we went to the Rainbow Classic in Hawaii, and yeah, I got to be a real good friend with Lou. After he left the uh, left uh, NYU, he went down to Florida to manage our hotel. I went to see him there. Lou was a good friend and a great coach, and um, you know, a good you know, he was really nice to me. So many great stories in this book. Then you were at Fairleigh Dickinson. Uh, what's the story with second baseman Steve Dembowski at Fairleigh Dickinson? Yeah. I was, I was, uh, you know, people used to think I used to make this stuff up. In my eight years at Fairleigh Dickinson, which I loved, we had a one-arm fencer, priest who played hockey, forty-three-year-old freshman football player, uh, first baseman who worked at a bomb factory during the height of the Vietnam crisis, and then it was Steve Dembowski. Steve was about five foot four, five foot five, and he set a an NCAA record uh, in four years against by a pitch. 128 times, and one spring his senior year, every time we had cameras come out, to 11 different times we had cameras come out, he got hit by a pitch every time, and we wound up getting, you know, Jim Bouton, late Jim Bouton, and late Dick Chap, you know, fell in love with the story, they publicized them all the senior year, and wound up getting a contract signed with the Yankees single-A team, so, uh, and Steven was now a prosecutor and a very good friend. So you're there until, what, 79 or 80, and then you get the interview, which you get a phone call that the Mets were looking, right? Arthur Richmond was moving on to the travel secretary position. You get a phone right, call. Right, right. And you don't believe it at first. Yeah, and I, 
No, I, I, this was in the winter of 1980. Uh, I had already accepted a job uh, to become the staff guy for Tony Kubek and Joe Garagiola for the NBC Game of the Week. And one day I get a phone call that says, hey, I'm you know, Jim Nagurney from the Mets. We're looking for an offbeat PR guy. Uh, would you, are you interested? And I, uh, uh, and I, I said, listen, I said it was my friend Howard Levine, and I hung up on the guy. Then the next day I found out that it was legitimate, and I called the guy back. I went down to Florida to, to uh, St. Petersburg. I interviewed at the old uh, Edgewater Beat Hotel. I went to the wrong hotel. I was late for the interview. And when I got there, Frank Cash and the GM at the time was here sitting in this little white tennis short. I was so nervous, I spilled this huge container of orange juice all over his lap. Uh, he asked me one question. He said, I hear you're a big reader. Have you read Brosman yet? And I thought it was, uh, I said, who wrote it? Shakespeare. He said, no, that was Jim Brosnan, the uh, White Sox, you know, White Sox pitcher. So I went, left there, five minutes, uh, the interview, went back to the hotel and told my, my late mother, his mom, there's no way I got this effing job. And, you know, four decades later, by hook or by crook, I'm still here. <laughs> what was your favorite memory over those four decades of media relations with the Mets? Well, you know what? Everybody would say the 1986 World Series, we came back to beat the Red Sox. We were down, uh, you know, two outs, two strikes, two runs at the bottom of the 10th in game six. But the thing I remember most is how the team reacted after 9-11. You know, we really helped the city heal. You know, we're coming up to the 20th anniversary next year. We had guys on the team like Bobby Valentine, you know, Al Leiter, Todd Zio, Robin Vittura, Vance Wilson, you know, Joe McEwen, and Gerardo Alfonso. We did so much to, to to go down to Ground Zero, speak to the firehouse, be, you know, do all that kind of stuff, and we made a difference. You know, the, the 86 World Series was great. I still have my ring, but I look back and, you know, what we did in 2001. We hooked up with Tuesday's children, which took care of the uh, you know, three thousand kids that lost a parent on 9/11. I think the thing is, we made a difference in the world. We had a great group of guys to work with. With you know Johnny Franco and Al Wider were local guys. They got what was going on, and we really did a lot of good. That's probably my top memory of my years with the Mets. In our remaining moments with Jay Horowitz here on Speaking of Writers, Mr. Met is his book. I want to get your thoughts, Jay, as we wrap up here on a few players and managers through those four decades. Let's start with Joe Torre. My first manager took me under his wing. He told me what the what the major leagues were, were, were like in. Uh, and he was really, uh, you know, on my first road trip to Montreal, he took me to a tie store. He bought me 70 ugliest ties imaginable and made me wear them. And I still have one of them now. And Joe's been a good friend. And even though he's been a Hall of Famer and won a lot of world championships, every time I call him, he always picks up the phone. Daryl Strawberry. Uh, he really turned his life around. He came up with a lot of pressure. Um, you know, Black Ted Williams on the cover of Sports Illustrated went on to re- re- win the Rookie Year Award. Um Got us some trouble off the field, resurrected his life. He and his wife, Tracy, are now traveling ministers, and they travel around the country preaching against the evils of opiates and drugs and, and doing a lot of good work with kids right now. Gary Carter? Gary Carter, one of the nicest people you ever want to meet. Uh, he, um, he, he, he got both ends of the, of the player spectrum, charity-wise, media-wise, played hurt every time after a game. He's have to ice his knees for hours and hours, and uh, you know he died at 57 from a brain tumor, and uh, much too young to die. But a great guy, and uh, you know a hundred times better person than he was player, and he was a you know Hall of Fame player. 
And this is not a player, but someone who meant a lot to you, your former assistant, uh, the late Shannon Ford. Yeah, she was probably one of the most courageous people I've ever met. Came down with uh, with breast cancer, uh, wouldn't stay home from working, uh, willed the way to work uh, in, in, in the 2015 World Series, even though the cancer was spreading all over her body. Um, you know, when she passed away, nine major league teams held a moment of silence for her. MLB helped build a field in her honor in her hometown in Little Ferry, uh, Shannon Thornton Ford Field. And she was able to walk the middle between the players, the media, and the front office. Nobody ever said a bad word about Shannon Ford, and she was like the, the daughter I never had. And finally, Jay, how are you enjoying your new role in alumni relations? It's great. You know, honestly, when I first, when Jeff Wilpon first asked me to do this, I wasn't crazy about it. You know, I like to travel, I like to come around in the locker room. But you know what, though? We're making a difference right now. We we work with the 69 Mets on the 50th anniversary. We're helping people connect who maybe got away from the family a little bit. One quick story. Uh, Hobie Landruff was the first person who the Mets picked in the 61 expansion draft. Called him about a year ago. And Hobie said to me, I'm the first person from the organization who's called him in 50 years. So what we're trying to do is bring back, you know, not even not just the All-Stars and players, let them know we care about them. We brought some players to spring training. Hopefully if this pandemic ever goes away, we can bring some alumni back to City Field this year. But it's really good to be a part. Most of these guys I work with, I've been there so long, I know them, I work with them when they were players. So it's good to reconnect with them and help, help bring it back into the Mets family. Yeah, like Swoboda and Shamsky, who've been on this podcast, too. I know you've uh, brought them back, too. As yeah, well. and Ed Craypool, who, you know, got, got his kidneys doing well. And we, you know, just try to reconnect with the guys in the past and you know, make it feel like they're wanted again and let them know to care about them. Hey, before I let you go, I want to got to ask you about uh, Steve Cohn. How well do you know him now, and uh, what are your thoughts? I, I just would have read in the paper. He said great stuff. He's a Met fan growing up. And yeah. I'm, I really haven't had a chance to meet him yet, but he's he's been great, and I'm looking forward to getting a chance to meet him someday. Jay Horowitz, the book is Mr. Met, How a Sports Mad Kid from Jersey Became Like Family to Generations of Big Leaguers. Jay, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for your time. Be safe. Have a happy Thanksgiving. You too. Thanks, Jay. And this is Speaking of Writers.